0: Hello and welcome to another Ulster Rugby roundup. The seasons all moved over, but the drama continues literally just as we start recording. Ulster have confirmed their new head coach Dan McFarland. That's a big shock, isn't it, Jonathan? Shocked, shocked and stunned. <laughs> that news, of course, that Jonathan Bradley exclusively suggested in the Belfast Telegraph this morning, um, and. Of course, there's a bumper new tea deal, TV deal to discuss as well with me, Gareth Hanna, to look through all this. All right, Jonathan Bradley. Hello, how's it going? And Adam McKendry.
1: Given the amount of tea drunk in here, I think we'd welcome a new tea deal as well. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. True, sure I would definitely back that. Um, <laughs> that be well,
0: a new
1: sponsor. <laughs> could be any sponsors out there are
0: welcome. Super. By Panjana. Before we get on to the big news. Um, well, arguably the biggest news is booze is that I was away last week and the first ever podcast without my great presence was here. But you just got on very well, I must oh. say. Congratulations, you did very well. I don't know how well it went down now. People, people missed you. Well, they seem to because for the first time in three weeks, we dipped below 1,000 listens. And uh, if we're back up over 1,000 this week, I'm just going to take the credit for that solely myself. I'm,
1: I'm going to take offence to that as the
0: stand host <laughs> last week. <laughs> yeah, we set the target of the four-figure um,
2: listener, listenership, And for us to get there so close to the end of the season
0: and then just fall away whenever uh, Adam's behind the wheel. Well, we we know who we're pointing the finger, who believe, But we'll be back this week. Um, And Donald O'Reilly from the famous weekly Donald enjoyed your contribution, Adam. said on Twitter. So that's that's nice.
1: Thank you very much, Donald.
0: Anyhow, enough about us and more about Dan McFarland because that is the big news um, that, as we record, has just been released by Ulster that he will come in as the Ulster rugby boss. The big question. When they've said next season, but we knew from the Scottish rugby statement that he's not leaving his post as assistant coach in Scotland until mid-January. So, is he coming in at the start of next season, halfway through next season? Do we know?
2: Well, we had this sort of situation on Saturday where Bryn revealed that the man was in place, but they wouldn't be in a position to announce for a few weeks. Obviously, with it emerging this morning that he was the leading candidate, it sort of looks like the Scottish Rugby Union have said, right, well, it's out there anyway, we're going to confirm it. If you're looking at their statement and it's saying a nine-month notice period, like nine months is a long, long notice period to be keeping somebody around for a job when they've already taken another one. Like, So to me, it would very much look like it's a case of they're not particularly happy that the man's leaving um in the middle of a World Cup cycle. But at the same time, it doesn't make any sense to keep him there for nine months, does it? So it, to me, it looks like it's going to be something that will be worked out.
1: From Ulster's perspective, they'll want to get him in quickly. You know, Whenever you bring a new coach in, you want them to have that pre-season. You want them to come in... You want them to impose themselves on the squad and you want them to say, look, this is the way I want you guys to play, I'm going to take a look at you, I'm going to see who fits into the system and who doesn't. I'm going to say, right, you and you, you're doing really well, or you, if you improve this part of your game, you can be be really instrumental. So that's why it's very important that Ulster do work out something with the SRU and get him in as quickly as possible because you absolutely want them to be in from the very start, working with those guys from uh, the end of July and making sure that by the time they get into the new season, they are ready to go in the system that Dan wants them to play because if he's coming in in January, they're already halfway through the season. Their European season uh, or campaign might already be over. Uh, and he's already missed that, so that's not ideal for anyone. And he's coming in and having to revamp what they're doing on the fly midway through the season, which just it just doesn't suit anyone. So it's vitally important that Ulster get him in as quickly as possible. Even Ooh. just from
2: a Scottish point of view, though, like why would Scotland pay for two forwards coaches? I can understand. But that's it. what
0: I was going to say. I mean, Worcester uh, coach Carl yeah. Hogg is coming in to assist them. Surely, if Carl Hogg is able to continue his head coach role with Worcester. Does that mean, surely that indicates that that's going to be the same case? I mean, there'll be two head coaches doing a a national job on the side. Is that a bit optimistic at this stage? I, I don't think it's optimistic at all to
2: think that this guy's going to be in for pre season because Scotland aren't going to want to pay two people. They're certainly not going to pay him post November. For December and January, when there's no games to be playing. And this is the other thing that to consider here. What's Ireland's first game in the World Cup?
1: You oh, you were, you were actually waiting for an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was rhetorical, also. So I, just I thought, it was, I thought, thought to, it was rhetorical. To deliver the punchline yourself. Oh, I was
2: waiting for somebody to say, it's Scotland. So, if Scotland are in the process of building towards the World Cup, which they are, the World Cup is now a little over a year away, why would you want to have a coach in that system, involved in all your plans towards the World Cup, who very soon will be answering to Joe Schmidt? Doesn't make any sense.
0: Mm -hmm. Touché, touché. So, if we assume that the timing aspect of it will be sorted out, is this a good appointment?
1: From all But what do we know about him first? that's Let, well through. yeah actually uh Dan McFarland, he is a former player. He has played for Richmond, Staffron and Connett. He is actually English. Um uh, you say that
0: Like it's a
2: real
1: Negative thing
2: <laughs> We think it's a Great appointment But be cautious Lads
3: He is
1: English <laughs> No nope, Not what I was Saying at all um, So after, after He finished up Playing He went into his, An assistant coach Role with Connott He's also worked With Emerging, uh, emerging Ireland And the Ireland Wolfhounds Before moving to Glasgow Warriors uh, where he worked with Gregor Townsend, who then took him to the Scotland role as well whenever he moved. So he's been assistant coach with Scotland, uh, and now, of course, he will be coming to Ulster as head coach. Look, he comes with uh, very high recommendations from a lot of people, um, and I think you know the, the fact that Gregor Townsend took him to Scotland says a lot about what he thinks of him. Um, from my perspective, I'm looking at it as... Gregor Townsend plays, the way he coaches rugby is a very attractive style of play, and McFarland obviously works in a very similar way for them to work Mm -hmm. so well together, and that's a really exciting brand of rugby that you're going to be bringing. He's, he likes to have the backs playing very off the cuff. They're very it's a very open game. You're given a lot of freedom to do what you think is right. And then the forwards, they also work with sort of the link-up guys. So they're gonna be, you know, throwing passes out the back and things like that. And that's kind of a similar way to uh how Ireland play every so often as well. So I think he's gonna be a very good appointment because he's someone who's gonna come in and he... He's going to bring a new style of rugby to Ulster. And given the backs that we know Ulster have, and given that he is a forward specialist having been a prop as a player, something that Ulster still need, uh, especially with John O leaving, I think he's going to be very good in just being able to bring those forwards on while being able to impose that style of play that... Has worked so well for Glasgow in the past and he's now taken to Scotland as well.
0: We know um, from what Bryn was saying over the weekend, and he's reiterated that on the uh, club statement this afternoon, that he, the Dan McFarlane, is Ulster's first choice. John, do you, do you, so what's the word I'm looking for? Concur. Um, endorse that decision? <laughs> um... Or Conquer would have been fine. Oh, which, whichever, yeah. Good word.
2: Yeah. You know, look, it's been a difficult season, and because it's been a difficult season, and an awful lot of the chat on this podcast has been very negative. And that's been picked up by a few people. <laughs> that We're not often, or we're accused of not giving credit where credit's due.
0: We're going to argue about that till we're blue in the face. <laughs> but I like to think of myself as the positive one. Did they not do that for guy that's quite positive though. No. Uh, I
1: started as the positive one that slowly <laughs> ebbed away over the season. Okay, I think it's me, they don't
2: like to be fair. <laughs> but anyway, um, so to bring some rare positivity to, uh, to your Monday afternoons here, I think it's a great appointment. Like me and Adam were talking about this on the way back from, uh, from Limerick on, on Saturday night that to come out and say it's your first choice, it's your primary candidate is a bit of a bold call because if you come out and say that and then it's a letdown, especially when we thought at this stage there was going to be a couple of weeks of speculation um, it's, it just puts you in a position where people are going to be disappointed you know we saw it in a similar situation with the replacement for Christian Lee, Leo Leofano where it was going to be a, um, an import signing and then over the next couple of days people were talking about oh it might be Matt Gaito and stuff like that and then when it's not Matt Gaito you end up being disappointments so there was always a real uh, possibility that that was going to be the case here but whenever that the name Dan McFarland was first put to me last night I mean I just sort of thought that's actually a proper coup really not dissimilar to your reaction when John O'Games was coming in this is somebody who has a great reputation within the IRFU. Um, from his time in Connacht, very well thought of there. And as Adam made the point earlier, it's a very good sign when somebody like Gregor Townsend brings him from one job to the other. You know, that's when you can tell that he really has his backing when Gregor Townsend is going to step up and wants to bring this man with him. And also by the fact that the Scottish River Union don't seem particularly happy that he's leaving either. It's always a, it's always a good sign if someone's getting a cake and streamers on the way out the door when they say <laughs> that they're uh, leaving early. It would probably be a, be a bit of a warning sign. So, just talking to a few people last night as well, I mean, everyone, one, as a person, has great things to say about him, two, as a coach, had great things to say about him, just when we were doing a bit of digging there. Um, and then... He's worked with quite a few of the players as well, which is something to note, you know, emerging Ireland and with emerging Ireland, he'll have worked with the likes of Craig Gilroy, Stuart McCluskey, um, Ricky Ludden, he's not there anymore, but um, has plenty of good things to say about him. And then with the under-20s as well, like he was actually assistant on that under-20s team that won the Grand Slam that, uh, that Darren Cave played on. So a lot of the boys will know him well whenever he first pitches in as well, so yep yeah, um, I, th- I think it's a very good appointment and certainly of a lot of the names that have been floated out during uh, the last sort of two months I suppose, he's one that would really sort of make you think that it could be feasible that he was their number one target, <laughs> you know the
1: one The one thing that would sort of jump out at me as a a bit of a concern is the fact that it is his first head coach role. You know, Ulster haven't been going well this season and they don't shy away from that. So you would have thought they would maybe be looking for someone with a bit of experience. But they've gone for McFarland who has plenty of experience as an assistant coach and plenty of good experience as an assistant coach but he's never actually stepped up to head coach role until now. And there is going to be that little bit of a transition there's a good chance he'll succeed because of how well he's done as an assistant coach but you can just never know whenever someone's making that move up maybe they just don't quite have that so it's it's going to be interesting to see how he handles the first maybe few months in the role just to see how he's making that that transition from being the number two up to the
2: number one? I think look I think you can say that, but you know, we always talk about how the Ulster bridge that gap to uh to Leinster. Like Joe Schmidt appeared in uh Leinster having been an assistant at Claremont. Like I know he had held head coaching positions before, but he was an assistant immediately before. John O'Gibbs was an assistant coming now in head coach and unfortunately seems to be in the best side of the team at the just the wrong time he's about to leave. Um Michael Checker, another one he was coming in, you know, there's a very fine line between getting somebody with real head coaching pedigree and hiring yesterday's man, I think, in a way. And for a team like Ulster, in the position that they're in, where there's plenty of positives in terms of your fan base and your infrastructure and stuff like that, but also there's been a lot of well-documented problems around this team as well. So, you know, it's not like Steve Hansen was going to come in and say, right, I fancy a crack at this job. So you want to get somebody on the right um, part of the curve in their trajectory, I would say. And that's what they did with Gibbs. And that's what I think they're trying to do with Dan McFarland of getting a good coach who's ready to step up and be a head coach. You know, that's that's how you get your Joe Schmidt. I'm not gonna say he's gonna be as successful as Joe Schmidt because he's not, but that's how you end up in that situation.
0: Well if his first job as a sort of incoming Ulster head coach is going to go by I think he's gonna be good because when you're coming as a head coach if you wanna get the fans on side should tell the fans that they're great and that's exactly what he's done on the Ulster statement. Um, just to read out a couple of lines that he has said, he says, I'm really excited that I'll be taking on the Ulster head. Coach surely knew first hand from a years visiting with Connacht and Glasgow, the passion and fervour that makes playing in front of Ulster fans so special. It's a club with a great history and I welcome the challenge of being a part of their future. That's lovely. Oh, but he's, means, oh, he's not
2: going to turn up and say, I've been there a few times and
0: Said, yeah, but that is yeah, straight he's out well, of the opening well. statement said, But passion and forever it's I think like it's great, great. It's, it's a bit of a dump but See, you are negative The people are read right about you No, I lied I
2: think <laughs> Belfast is a dump I think Belfast is great But I'm just saying He's not going to turn up and say oh, I don't really like the place To be honest
1: You're you know, taking it away from him
2: it's like, Anyhow I, like, I, We I, digress I, I always go back to that story About Christian Caranbury Turning up to play for Middlesbrough From Real Madrid And his wife just bursting into tears Whenever she saw a place, you know, (laughs) even in his statement, I'm guessing he didn't say,
0: "Ah, well, it's it's grim up north." But (laughs) wasn't it Rubinho when he signed for Manchester City talking about Chelsea? Yeah, (laughs) that was great. That was a great one too. But anyhow, um, Victor Vito talking about (laughs) Belfast. If we fast forward one or two years, what impact do we expect his arrival to have had on? One, Ulster's playing style, and two, um, recruitment in terms of what sort of players Ulster have been able to attract.
1: <laughs> I don't think either of us really wanted to take that.
0: I'm no, sorry, I, I thought he was moving towards you.
1: Well, then uh, I'll,
2: I'll take it then. See you next week when we have this new microphone. Oh, uh, it's gonna, uh, we're getting So much easier. Yeah, so to apologies to.
0: Um, anybody who complained about the sign last week it was just a minor issue and we have ordered a new microphone so we are listening to the fans and there should be one on arrival for our next podcast
1: anyhow in terms of what McFarland will bring I mentioned it earlier he has coached with Gregor Townsend for uh, the past few years so he's very much in that style of how he plays so you're going to probably see the backs being given a lot more freedom to really attack into attack from basically anywhere you know Glasgow are a team who whenever they get any sniff of an opportunity there's no thought of kicking it it's get it out the backs and see what they can do and that's a great style it's really enjoyable to watch it can occasionally backfire on you but whenever you have the guys who have the ability to cut through teams at will then nine times out of ten, you're going to look fantastic. So you want that in your backs. But the thing for me is Dan McFarland, as a former forward, will definitely bring that hard-nosed edge that Jono Gibbs has seemed to put into the team at the back end of this season. You've seen the likes of Matty Ray and uh, Nick Timoney, Tom O'Toole coming on off the bench and making an impact on Matty Dalton there seems to be that little bit more grit and that little bit more edge and I have no doubt that Jono has been one of the key instigators in installing that into these young guys and bringing it into the squad so you want Dan McFarland to come in and you want him to say to those forwards, see what you were doing at the back end of last season, bring that into this season because this is where Ulster are going, they need these young guys to step up and they need it They need them to bring it into the start of next season because if they don't take what they've been doing at the back end of this season into next season, then all that good work that Jono did is gone. And McFarland, as a former forward, will know exactly what he wants from these guys and I have no doubt he'll come in and he'll maybe tweak a few things, but he'll say, this is what I want you to do. So over the next couple of years... You want to see Ulster playing with that freedom in the backs, but you also want to see the forwards bringing that real dogged edge up front. Something, something akin to the likes of what Leo Cullen brought to Leicester. Just, just that little edge that a team needs to be to get over the line. And whenever you've got that forward presence like Ulster had in the first half against Munster on Saturday, your backs will find life a whole lot easier.
0: What about in terms of recruitment then? Is this a man that potential Ulster signings, and indeed already confirmed Ulster signings, will be excited to come and play for? I think
2: that... Sometimes I think we're guilty of overthinking things in terms of the mindset of professional sportsmen. For professional sportsmen I think it really is an overall package that you're selling. So looking a few years down the line, it's not going to be do players want to come and play for Don McFarland. It's has Don McFarland turned in turned Ulster into a team that people want to come mm-hmm. and play for. Um you know it's not like through some sort of force of personality like um Ulster used to do with David Humphreys when they first started trying to recruit um foreign players that Dan McFarland has to uh, sell Ulster because that's not gonna be part of his job. It's essentially Britain's job to go and uh, seek out um and sell Ulster to to foreign imports. But like I hate I hate the word culture in sport, I really do, because like, you know, England spoke about culture flat out in the build-up to the 2015 World Cup, and then get knocked out in the group stages of their own competition, so it's <laughs> like I, I just think it, it's it can be incredibly overblown, but but I'm having said all that, I'm going to go ahead and use this word anyway. <laughs> you have to part of it will be to change the culture of Ulster rugby, and you know you can't just say oh we want to ape the culture of Leinster or we're going to ape the culture of Saracens or whatever. But the environment that those successful teams are in is a product of their success, obviously, but their success is also a product of the environment. And that's something that is going to be very important for Ulster moving forward. Because an awful lot of these people that have come out and said um, things about Ulster in the press recently have all zeroed in on that. It's not a winning culture. It's not a winning environment. So yeah, you really have to instill that. And that's the hallmark of successful teams, silver winning teams.
0: Well, just going back finally to the Ulster statement again, um, Brittany Cunningham has said on it that Ulster will be announcing at least one further addition to the coaching team in the near future. Um, so obviously, uh, Dan McFarland's coming in with plenty of forwards and um, expertise. Um, who else could we see coming in? Any suggestions? Well, like, I mean, you called that my phone, right? So there's a lot of pressure on this one.
2: <laughs> a lot of people listening tonight for which name I'm going to plug yeah. in. Anywhere, 30 <laughs> seconds notice here. No, um, see, I've heard I've heard that it might be one, I've heard it might be two. So it's interesting because... Yeah, it says at least one, just on the yeah. screen. Oh, right? at least one, yes, because yeah. we'd, we'd heard the possibility of two. Like, um, maybe you get, I don't know, we haven't had a collisions coach in a while. Can we get
1: Joe cut back? Joe, Joe Barakat was great. Um, I remember speaking to Joe Barakat on the steps leading up to the plane, coming home from Claremont, and him just saying how sad he was he was going. And that's that was such a sad memory to leave off.
2: He told me the team once by accident, and then it was only after he'd done it that he realised he probably shouldn't have.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, Froster, it, it's weighing up that balance between having too many coaches and not having enough coaches because you've already got Dwayne Peel and Aaron Dundon in there. So you've now got uh, McFarland heading up the coaching ticket with Peel as assistant coach and Dundon as scrum coach. Do you start to bring in more guys to add more voices or do you try and keep it simple so there aren't too many voices? And that's another line that Ulster have to try and draw somewhere and just make sure that they've got enough in there that they're not overdoing it?
2: I think as much as you probably don't want to say so a lot of this probably depends on Jared Payne Um, if Jared Mm -hmm. Payne's going to play next year um, then you have to get a defence coach that's what he's Mm -hmm. doing at the minute so if he's playing next year then somebody has to be the defence coach Mm -hmm. presumably if he's not playing next year then He'd like to think he was probably going to be the defence coach, given that they've actually improved defensively quite a bit um, over the last six months. Um, So a lot's going to depend on that, but you're obviously in a position where you don't want it to be Jared Payne because you want him to be back playing. Mm -hmm. But to be honest, I'm just glad that we don't have the three weeks of speculation about who it was going to be that it (laughs) seemed like we were going to have at the weekend.
0: Well more big news um, today then of course was the TV data that was announced by Premier Sport of course when BBC lost the rights to the Ulster Pro 14 matches there was a lot of speculation was this good or bad news but Premier Sport have announced that they're going to show every game, every Pro 14 game is going to be shown live. How does that even work practically? But good news from the point of view that a few months ago we didn't know whether it was good that BBC had lost it or not I suppose this is a good it, well, is this a good sort of um, consolation package it's, for anybody who got it about the BBC thing?
1: It's good in that every game will be shown, which was one of the big concerns that Ulster were going to lose a lot of TV time. And it's good in terms of the money in that it's a significant increase for the Pro 14 teams as opposed to what we thought was just going to be a smaller increase and a loss of exposure. So I think the Pro 14 have done well and that they've tried to cover all the bases in that it is an increase in money and there isn't a loss of exposure and in fact strictly speaking there is an increase in exposure in terms of the number of games on now because it is behind pay per view Mm -hmm. TV there are a lot of people who are going to say right well I'm not going to actually pay for that I'm not going to watch it so there is going to be a loss of audience and I don't think they can get away from that so now it is balancing the exposure that the league is going to get and the uh, the money that they've brought in for each team because you got to bear in mind that even though they've got more money they're still a long 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 way behind the teams in England and France uh, in terms of the TV deals they get and you've now lost all those casual viewers who might tune in Uh, on the BBC or on S4C or uh, TG4. So it's it's one that I think you're only going to really know exactly what it's like once you see the audience figures from Premier Sports and once you see maybe how the free sports games are going. But certainly it looks like it's a good move because you've got that extra money coming in it's very affordable in that it's only 10 pounds £10 a month, nine ninety nine a month. Uh for every game. The
2: price of a cappuccino a week, as Adam said earlier, clearly
0: showing his uh <laughs> his Starbucks taste as he comes well. in there. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we should mention that that the, the details of the deal are, as Adam says, nine ninety nine per month you'll be able to get uh, Premier Sport for and um all 152 matches will be shown live. 21 matches, so that's one match every round, will be shown on the company's free-to-air sister channel, Free Sports. Um, but obviously, as to how often that would be Ulster's game, um, well, we don't, we don't know. I think,
2: yeah, Adam sort of hit the key points there of whenever this deal was first announced back... Well, sorry, not announced. Whenever the deal was first reported back in the start of March, the key things are going to be how much money it is which appear to be more than we thought it was gonna be initially. How many games were gonna be on TV, which again appear to be more than um we thought initially, in the sense that every game is going to be on T V. And how many eyeballs you lose in terms of future fans who decide that they want to go to Ravenhill on the back of watching a game on T V on a Friday night. Yeah. Because in a way you're preaching to the converted here. Mm-hmm. Because like, if I was to look at it purely from a selfish point of view right, the ability to watch all of the league's games with English commentary and an HD over the course of a weekend is a massive plus I already have Premier Sport anyway because I got out for Jacob Stockdale's Ireland debut and I've never been able to cancel it <laughs> thanks
1: to, not not because of Premier Sport I hasten to add
2: because of my uh, unnamed satellite television provider They are insanely difficult but the idea that somebody who's that into the league can do that is great for somebody who's that into the league. Yeah. But it's just it's that balance between bringing new fans because you've seen it with you know um, cricket um, being the main one, um, Formula One to a degree, and boxing to a degree of what happens when you put um, a sport behind the yeah. behind the paywall. Um it maybe it makes everything else so much more important um, other aspects of the media you know newspapers podcasts websites kind okay of, that kind of thing you know you really yeah oh, you, <laughs> you, uh, you really need to make sure you're still getting your coverage there um, <laughs> but as adam says it's one of those things that you, it's going to be down the line before we sort of work out how successful this has been but from what we know today to what we had heard a month ago, for me the main positives are that it's going to be the increase in money, bridging that gap between the two big leagues and the Pro 14 that we're always told about. So it it, it hasn't closed the gap, but it's certainly um, made it a lot smaller. And then the other worry, of course, was the fact that not all of Ulster's away games were going to be on TV. So, you know, you could have had this sort of blackout scenario where yeah. nobody could see Ulster away to Zebra, for example. And now that's not going to be the case either. Mm. So, the news as we have it today is a lot more positive than it seemed mm. a month ago, as much as it's still going to be a work in progress or. A, to be confirmed, yeah. almost, how high, high we
0: see this in three years, you know. One I, suppose the- it's, I suppose it's good news financially, good news for committed rugby fans, for casual rugby fans. Probably not great. If you're not willing to pay for it, you're not going to see it. But how does this work practically? If we're going to see every game, every weekend, how are they actually going to work that out?
1: So, well, we were discussing this before we started recording, just very briefly. Because of free sports um you're gonna have probably at least three or sorry at least four slots, so Premier sports are launching a new channel, Premier sports two, to cover all these games so you've gotta have at least four slots, one for the free sports game uh and three for the two games that can be run simultaneously so you're likely gonna have one game on a Friday and two or sorry two games on a Friday and four games on the Saturday, split over uh, four slots. Um, You can factor in a a game in South Africa by using the time difference. You can put that maybe as uh, the curtain raiser on the Friday, maybe at five o'clock, and then have a game at half seven on the Friday night, and that covers two slots there. And then on the Saturday, you can have two slots, one in the afternoon and one in the evening. So it will effectively work rather similarly to how Sky Sports run it at the moment in that they would have one game set, quarter past three Mm -hmm. on a Saturday, and another at half five or whatever it was. Uh, And then Premier Sports would just throw in the two games on the Friday as well. Mm -hmm. So it works. It's going to work very well in the fact that there's one place to go see Pro 14 rugby. And I think that's something that a lot of people have overlooked. You know, like whenever you talk about the Premiership, where are you going to watch your Premiership? Are you going to go to BT Sport? Where are you going to watch uh, the Top 14? You're going to go to Sky. Where are you going to watch the Pro 14? Oh, well, you're going to bounce between BBC North Ireland, then BBC Wales, and then S4C, and then TG4. And now you're going to say, where do you watch the Pro 14? Are you watching on Premier Sports? So uniting it under one channel for Premier Sports and Free Sports, which are run by the same company, I think works quite well, because now you've just got the home of Pro 14 rugby.
0: Hmm. Well, time will tell as to the the pros and cons of the deal over the course of the coming season. Um, Moving on then, of course, we still have a match to discuss, Uh, (laughs) Ulster's draw in monster, which was seems what so about it li- in- seems so
2: long ago, it doesn't it to be fair it seems so long ago by the time we got back to Belfast <laughs> after that <laughs> game
0: I've yeah. our an 8 hour round trip for a match that in truth was never all that meaningful or never likely to be that meaningful yeah, but yeah thanks
1: for pointing that out it makes all that fuel <laughs> money look, uh, <laughs> look a lot worse <laughs> so I'm
0: not claimed on expenses
1: <laughs> maybe so,
2: <laughs> yeah. um, to be fair my highlight of the whole trip was the like 3 year old kids and about 2 years behind us like he can't have been any more than three, but he was able to, like, every ten minutes or so, just stand up and belt out this rising rendition of Stand Up and Fight. Word perfect. It was insane. I've never seen anything like it. Like, absolutely word for word perfect. And he was doing it when nobody else was uh, singing as well. He just seemed to really, really love the song and Monster Ruby. Um it's not really not really relevant, but I couldn't no, 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 like, but <laughs> I, I couldn't work it into my match report, so I just wanted
1: <laughs> <laughs> wanted like to them. float it out. there one, is one wasted. of those
2: reasons that I uh, that I actually really like. Thelma doesn't
1: know um, <laughs> On
2: the pitch, then um, yeah, let, let, let's get back to
0: that. Uh, at half time, probably it was looking promising for a bonus point win for Ulster. Didn't materialise. Didn't really matter. But what was the sort of reaction to the overall performance?
1: very much a game of two halves, and I know that's such an overused cliche, but it it literally was, because Mm -hmm. Ulster decided that they were going to do everything right for the first half and then do nothing right for the next 38 minutes of the second half, before doing things right for the next minute, and then doing everything wrong for the remaining minute. Um, The problem was, for some reason, Ulster came out in the second half and went away from their game plan. For some reason... Maybe it was the fact that they were up a man to start the second half, but they decided to try and run it out of their 22 whenever they really weren't getting anywhere. And it just you just need to kick it clear and try and do what you were doing in the first half. Win a penalty, kick it down, try and win the line-out, which was a bit of a lottery, and then get a driving mall set. But for some reason, they decided that their game plan was going to change. That let Munster back into it. The yellow card got them back on the board uh, with the try, and... from there Ulster just basically couldn't get out of their own half and that that was the problem for Ulster in the second half they just didn't play the game right at all if they'd gotten the bonus point early in that second half that would have been game over and Ulster could have gone on to walk the game but instead they let Munster back into it they let them get that foothold Uh, Luke Marshall gave away a really ridiculous yellow card and I don't know what he was questioning about afterwards. It but was it, a bit quick, though, wasn't it? it was, well,
2: sorry, it, it was quick
1: in general, but not quick in the sense that Robin Copeland had got an equally quick one just before. Well, no, it, it was quick in the fact that Munster had just been stopped five metres short of the line, and Marshall was lying inside of a rock, uh, very blatantly slowing the ball down, while they were trying to go quickly. I I thought it was a yellow card. I'd, I'd say favorably. It was a it was a quick trigger on the old yellow card, but then you have to also Koblen- say that
2: was very quick. Copeland <laughs> went so quick to the point that he actually had to tell me it had happened because I went to type something, <laughs> and he'd been given a yellow card, and I didn't realize because I just assumed it. Um, it was just another penalty, but like I get what Adam's saying there about the change in game plan, but you also have to remember the monster changed there. Um set up as well, because Jean Klein came on and Stephen Archer came on, and that changed the game, because Ulster no longer had the forward dominance, like, Callum Black was bossing that game for the first um, 40 minutes, and then Stephen Archer came on, and um, Andy War comes on about 10 minutes later, and it's a completely different story, it's not something that we always would see with Ulster having this forward dominance, but they were winning scrum penalties and they scored two um mall tries. But
1: when was the last time that happened? <laughs>
2: 1987. But um <laughs> whenever uh Stephen Archer came on, he just changed things completely and then Sean Klein and Grobbler combined, Grobler um whether you like it or not, had a brilliant game. Um just wreaked havoc in the line out, and that's where we saw it in the end. Like, I understand the sort of groundswell of negativity here, in the sense that you're saying Ulster were playing Monster's second team and couldn't beat them. But the fact of the matter, you also have to acknowledge that they could have beat them had that been what they needed to do, because they would have got out of there with a win with the penalty at the end had they not had to kick it to the corner, but they were in a position where they had to go for the four tries, that you can say that they should have got a bonus point win if you want. But this, oh, we couldn't even beat Monsters, um second choice thing,
1: doesn't really wash... Because Johnny McPhillips would have knocked over that penalty to win the game. But you, but you also have to factor in the point that over the nine months, Ulster put themselves in a position where they had to get the bonus point. When oh yeah, like to that, get. Like, so I, I, don't, I don't count this whole argument that oh, Ulster would have won, and we, we can count that. Possibly as a win. No, you put, okay, your, you put yourself in a position where you need the four tries You need the five points, so that's what you had to go for. You kick that penalty, you get the win You walk away from Toman Park, you're happy, but no, they needed the four tries, so that's not a win That's a draw, no, and you yeah, drew against yeah. Monster seconds. I'm not saying it's a win. I'm saying the point of the
2: argument being that the game was against Monster seconds And you couldn't beat them is redundant because they could have beat them had they been in a position to, if it was an interprovincial game of old or if it was a friendly. I'm not condoning the fact that they were in a position where they had to get five points from that game. I'm just saying the idea that they couldn't beat Monster second team isn't right. You can't say that they couldn't beat Monster <sighs> second team. You can say that they couldn't get a bonus point win against Monster Second Team if you want. But that's not the argument. So the argument is that they, to say they couldn't have beat Munster's but, second team is wrong because they that, could have if that, they had just kicked the penalty. That
1: still doesn't wash with me because Ulster were in the position where they needed four tries. They set up to get four tries, and that's what they were there for. So it's it's all well and good saying that you know oh they would have won, but that. You can't isolate this game as a one-off game. They set up to get four tries. They needed four tries. They went for four tries. They didn't get four tries, and they drew the game. It, it could be a whole different game if Ulster kick a few penalties earlier in the game or something like that. You have to look at this game in the context that it was, and they needed four tries to get four tries, and they didn't, and they drew the game. So I'm putting it down as Ulster drew with Munster's seconds. Okay, but
2: we're, I mean, we're arguing for the need for context, but you're not providing context there. <laughs> okay, the, the context... The, I, like, I, I don't think we're going to get anywhere here. All I'm saying <laughs> is that you can either isolate the game or not isolate the game. You can't say that they couldn't beat Monster Seconds, because they could have beat Monster Seconds. But well, if they, want, didn't, as, they
0: didn't beat Monster Seconds. Well, as much as I'm enjoying this, <laughs> uh, we're going to have... We're, uh, Running out of time.
2: Imagine um, if this had to be last week and you weren't here to intervene. So <laughs> <Dear laughs> I can only so imagine. We, I'm only we,
0: intervening because my popcorn's finished. So <laughs> here we are. Um, in order to let the tensions in here die down, I think it's a good time um, to throw in a little bit of audio. So here's what a double try scorer Rory Best had to say after the weekend's game. Oh yeah, look, I think to um, put
3: ourselves in that position and, and then to score right on the stroke of half time, our third try, um, it. Uh, felt really really good and that our set piece was functioning well and look, ultimately we put a lot of pressure on ourselves in the second half we played far too much in our own half and um, we had ample opportunities to exit at times and then we just gave of the opportunity to put pressure on they obviously upped their game big time i thought the the substitutions with archie and uh, jean klein coming on made a massive difference at, at set piece and and we just struggled a little bit at set piece and in the first half when we got a bit raggedy we were able to go back the scrum, all, and we got ourselves back in the game, and we just weren't able to get that foothold. And look, I think ultimately, when you look at the at the whole game, it, it's more a culmination of nine months. You know, on eighty minutes to get a that kick very kickable penalty at twenty four all. On another day, you kick that and you come away from Philman Park, a very tough place to win with a victory, and because of of the position we put ourselves in, we had to go to the corner, and, and we'd be disappointed that. We missed the line out, but I think it's important that we don't look at that one moment in isolation and say, that cost us a uh, quarterfinal, or that cost us a match. So there's been a lot of stuff that, I suppose, really put ourselves in that position.
0: From Ulster's point of view, then, obviously, Rory Best got two tries. Um, so, presumably, he was a positive. What, what players can we take out as the, the main positives from the game? Again, trying to be positive here. Stop yeah. screwing up your face. See, you are negative.
1: We, we actually discussed this on the way back, and we, we couldn't really think of too many Johnny McPhillips in the first half was good and then didn't get much of a chance to show anything in the second half because Ulster were starved of the ball so much yeah see
2: this was sort of the issue because it was such a different game like if you were to say pick out the positives of the first half that would have been fine but we didn't see anything from Ulster in the second half really Mm. Um, i say sorry Angus Curtis um, I would say is a real positive Mm. that's two weeks in a row he's looked very good um, Jacob Stockdale um, made a lot of grind off not very much um, that was a positive <sighs> I mean the back row um, worked hard without really getting too much um, out of the game Callum Black had a really good game <laughs> um, when he was on for the first sort of 50 minutes in the scrums um, Best had a good game outside the lineouts Um
1: I think, I think the problem with the game is everyone had their positives, but everyone had their negatives as well, and that's the problem, because they very much cancel each other out, because you can say best was very good in the loose and the scrum, but the line-out was a problem. Same with the locks. The locks were very good in the line-out and the scrum, or so, sorry, in the loose and the scrum, but the line-out was uh, an absolute mess. Uh, in the backs... The back three, I thought, all had good games with ball in hand, but under the high ball, Munster just kept kicking it up and they were beaten 90% of the time. So, you know, you, you can look at different parts of the game and say, well, you know, so-and-so had a great game, but everyone had that area where they needed to improve and it just wasn't that game where every, where one person stood out as having done pretty much everything right. Well... Uh, thinking of the sort of
0: um, permutations of the whole weekend's action, I've given up trying to keep track of what's happened with this European playoff. Is it going to happen? Yes, it's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Um,
2: Poe got beat by Montpellier pretty heavily, so they actually fell back a place, so they need to leapfrog two of the three teams above them, mm. um, which is fairly unlikely to happen. Uh, it might happen, but it's probably not going to happen. Gloucester got absolutely humped at home by Bath <laughs> to the point where um, we were watching the score and like I don't know it's close enough but we'd like Gloucester to come back here and then every sort of five or ten minutes we'd check it again and be like no um, this is really getting away from them here Gloucester have mm. no motivation to finish in the top six apart from Pride because they've already qualified for the Champions mm. Cup via their success in the Challenge Cup yeah So you're looking at Gloucester to stay in the top six would need to get a result against Saracens, which they have no real inclination to do, given that they'll have one eye in the Challenge Cup final. Or um, Leicester would have to beat Sale, which might happen, but now Bath are in the mix and they play London Irish at home on Saturday. So I, I actually think that you're going to be in a situation where Neither Poe or Gloucester finish in the top six. Lovely. Well, that's, yeah, that's, do that's do we point. know when
0: the playoffs going to be then?
2: We think it is going to be the Saturday evening. And we're saying this on the basis of when the other TV games are confirmed for. Okay. Because it wouldn't seem to make too much sense to have them going
0: head-to-head on TV. So we reckon that's Saturday the 19th? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Lovely. Another big talking point then of recent weeks. We had received reports last week that some Ulster fans had had a banner removed from Kingspan Stadium during the home game against Glasgow. Now, we also got a little bit of flack on social media for not discussing that last week. That was because um, we wanted to wait to get a response from Ulster Rugby so we could provide you guys with a bit more of an informed response. And lo and behold, we now have that. So, Jonathan, you've been discussing this with the guys from Ulster Rugby. What happened?
2: Yeah, no, look, we're getting sticks saying that we were dodging the issue. I think if we were dodging issues at this stage of the season it would be a bit the uh, <laughs> sort of bolting the gate after the after the horse is gone. <laughs> but um no so so we uh we waited for a response for Elster. We know yeah. folded their own. It was actually uh, it was us didn't get in contact with them in time for, for last week. So the uh the policy essentially is that only flags and banners um in Kingspan relating to um, the Ulster team are, so like only Ulster rugby flags are essentially permitted. Um, we don't want, I guess, the uh, any flag debates in this part of the world, <laughs> so to avoid that. And um, so you, you can also say I have South African flags for Pinar or, or whatever. Um, but yeah,
0: that's that's the official policy on items that are allowed into the stadium. So there we go. Any other banners then we can uh, assume in future matches will be also removed?
2: I am I'm guessing that any banners saying anything would be removed. If it said I like um, salt on my chips, it would be... Uh,
0: will be taken away. Well, taken away. if anybody wants to test that theory I'm bringing a flag saying, I like salt and my chips, <laughs> we'll take a picture of it and find great hilarity. <laughs> Another listener query, then, that we were able to put to Ulster will be the playoff game that we know is going to happen. Well, um, we well in all, well, <laughs> you know, we're guessing it's going to happen. Um, is that included in season tickets?
2: It's not included in season tickets, and the reason for that is not just because that would cost Ulster a clean fortune, <laughs> um, is that it's actually a Pro 14 game. So if you've been to any of the semis um, that have been on, that Ulster have been in recently, you'll have seen that you know Pro 14 basically take over, um, ticketing programmes, that sort of thing. So that's actually the case for the playoff as well. So it's not actually up to Ulster, the tickets
0: there we go well as regards your listener questions we have got a few good ones this week now as you can well imagine um, there has been a lot to discuss we're running on in time but next week with new no game coming up we're going to have a little bit of a listener uh, question special so all the good questions have asked we're saving them until uh, next week except for the weekly donut which in my absence you two disgracefully forgot about last week
1: Terrible behaviour. I, I will take the blame on that one. Sorry, Donald. Because we did we did get Donal's question and I forgot to write it down. So uh, that is completely my fault.
0: <laughs> well, we have got his question. We're going to ask his question from last week because it was very good. Um, I also have forget- forgotten to write it down. And I'm now <laughs> frantically scrolling through Twitter but can't find it. So it was something along the lines of... If Byrne or Carberry move to Ulster this summer is the biggest loser, Kieran Marmion because um, John Cooney would then be playing with Bernard Kirby week in, week out. This wasn't that it. right? That, wasn't, that was what he asked. Yes. Yeah,
2: yeah. See, this is interesting to me because whenever um, Cooney came up originally and went on that tour to USA and Japan, you were thinking that it was going to be really good for him from an Irish perspective. Um, an Ireland selection perspective to be playing week in week out with Paddy Jackson because then you would have your backup nine and ten um, playing together at club level. So when you brought them on in units in the way that you can see with front rows, you know Ireland quite frequently will have an all Leinster um, reserve front row so that when you bring them on for twenty minutes, thirty minutes, whatever. You have that familiarity in your units, and halfbacks the same. Um, so, if you're in that position where it's not Paddy Jackson, you back up ten anymore, but it could be Joey Carberry. Then there's not an awful lot to pick between Ireland's reserve scrum halves. So it could be a real benefit to Cooney in terms of his Ireland selection if it's if it is Cooney and Carberry. I mean. we getting a picture here of uh, Joey Carberry and Joe Schmidt out for coffee, so it looks like the wheels <laughs> are in motion, guys.
0: <laughs> Coming in, reporting right here. <laughs>
1: yeah. thing is, Joe Schmidt likes Kieran Marmion in, in, as a player, and he, he's liked Marmion as a player for a long time. So this would be a good move for John Cooney being able to say, well, look at the partnership that I've forged with either Carberry or Byrne and look at what we're doing up in Ulster. This is just even more of a reason why you should select me because I think John Cooney's good enough to be in the Ireland squad on a regular basis and I think it's, uh, it's a crying shame that he hasn't been. So this would only further his international prospects as well. In terms of who then gets left out. As Johnny said, there's not a whole lot between all the reserve Ireland scrum halves, so this could be just what puts him over the edge. And then you're looking at, actually, Luke McGrath working with Johnny Sexton or Ross Byrne, whoever's playing at Leinster, and you suddenly have Conor Murray, who is out and out the best nine Ireland, and the two other scrum halves who are working with the Ireland fly halves. So, it does look like Marmion might be the one who will lose out on this one. I think Donald does have a point.
0: A very good point, too. Uh, one other point we need to make about listener questions. So, we're having a listener question special next week, as we said. Please do uh, get loads of questions coming in. But if you are tweeting them to us, use the uh, AskUR hashtag, and make sure your profile is public, because if you don't, then we can't see them. And if we can't see them, we can't answer them. Um. Lastly then for this week we have the club roundup, a big game of playoff or a big week of playoff finals last weekend. Uh, very mixed
1: news for the Ulster teams really wasn't it extremely mixed um, there was heartbreak for Banbridge as they failed to reach Division 1A having lost to UCC 15-10 at Rifle Park they'll now be joined in 1B next season by City of Armagh who defeated Nina Orman 32-23 at the Palace Grounds to gain back to back promotions rainy old boys they had even more heartbreak they suffered a last minute 16-14 defeat to Navan at Hattrick Park that was literally a last play con- version that uh, saw them lose. So they stay in Division 2B where they're joined by Belfast Harlequins who saw off Oma Aki's 26-20 at Darmore Park. So I just thought to confirm uh, next year in 1B we'll have Ballymina Balnahinch, Bambridge, City of Armagh, and Malone. So there's going to be plenty of Ulster derbies there next year. In Division 2A, Queen's University are on their own. In Division 2B, we're going to have Belfast Harlequins, Dungannon, and really Old Boys. And in Division 2C, we have Bangor, City of Derry, and Oma And
0: of course, that meant bad news then for Instonians who didn't make it up through the, the round robin. Bad news as well for Banbridge. Um, heartbreaking really would have been back to back promotions up to the top tier, but uh, their first year in 1B, I mean it was still pretty outstanding wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's a good season. It's, it's a big blow. It's a blow for Ulster rugby as well not to have uh, not to have a team up there in, in 1A. As, with home advantage they will really have fancied themselves to, uh, to win that game, but I mean, like as as you say, it would have been a bit of a fairy tale story. Like twenty years on from becoming a senior club, mm-hmm. um, Dan Sober at the helm, having arrived in uh, Banbridge twenty years ago for that first All Ireland League season. So hugely, hugely disappointing results for them. But you don't want to take away too much from the season that they've had because they're obviously building so well there, and they've done very well to get to the point that they did. Um, as much as it was a, a heartbreaking finish, you,
1: know. you look at who you hear who they might be bringing in next year, and you you think they're gonna they're gonna bounce back next year, and you'd really like to hope that they could make another big push for one A as could Balna Hinch. But City of Armagh, what a year they've had! Yeah, well, what, a year, mean, what, what a year for rugby! What what a year for uh, rugby club rugby in Ulster. But City of Armagh, they win the Sony Premiership they win the Senior Cup for the first time and they gain promotion to 1B. That's back-to-back promotions. That's just a stunning year for them. So, well done to them. They can now start to get focused on uh, making a big push in 1B and uh, hopefully, hopefully with five teams in there, there's a statistical probability that one team will at (laughs) least be involved in pushing for 1A next year. So, uh, hopefully next year we'll finally get a team up into 1A and potentially even two. Fingers crossed. Next year
0: is uh, the Ulster teams year in Division 1B. Uh, so that's really us for this week. Next week, of course, our listener special, so do keep the questions coming in. And until then, um, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes. Somebody recently was having a go that it wasn't on iTunes. It is. It's just a link on the website. takes you to SoundCloud. But if you would rather listen on the iTunes um app please do that that's where I listen so just go on there search for Ulster Rugby Roundup and it will pop up right there so from the most
2: popular one on there it'll be there (laughs) there
0: you go from Jonathan Bradley cheers thank you very much from Adam McHenry cheers guys and from myself Gareth Anna thanks for listening